My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday school. Uh, If you haven't already noticed, and just an FYI, today's lesson is rated R. Uh, About once or twice we'll have one like this, and it's because the text is rated R. So it just is what it is. At uh, At the beginning of each Sunday school year, I will typically teach a lesson that's the who, what, where, why, when, and how of our Sunday school class. And I address uh, this type of a textual topic uh, in that lesson each year and basically say when the text goes there, we're going to go there. We'll go there in a mature way. Uh, But I'll also try to communicate that in case uh, kiddos are in the room because sometimes we have kids in the room and when we do, I like to give parents a heads up. Uh, I've been in more than one sermon where the preacher went somewhere that I was not prepared for my children to hear. Uh, and you, you may have experienced something like that too, so uh, I just like to be upfront about those types of things. Uh, I want to start with this morning by talking about Galatians. Uh, and some of you have heard me tell this story nine times before, and I'll tell it again. Uh, because when my dad uh, was trying to warn me about something, he would just say one word, and the word was Galatians. Uh, And I'm convinced, uh, because I've asked him multiple times, that he does not actually know the reference to the verse that he was talking about. But what he's talking about is Galatians 6, 7. uh, And I think I printed it at the top of your handout. Uh, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man sows. That shall he also reap. I can't even say it in the New King James. I have to say it in the King James because I heard it so many times as a child. Um, But he would always... uh, I would say at least 50% of the time when I went to my dad and asked him for advice on something, Galatians was the answer. Uh, and I, as I was teaching through Galatians a few years ago, I, I let him know that there were other verses in Galatians that were also of great value. And he said, yeah, but that one works pretty much all the time. Uh, and what I want us to make sure as we go through Nahum chapter 3 today, or at least part of Nahum chapter 3, uh, and don't be intimidated by the staple in your handout, and this six-page handout today. We are almost certainly not going to get through all that, and there'll be more next week, and it's okay. God has built this wonderful thing into our calendars. There's Sunday's coming, uh, which is good. But uh, one of the things I want us to make sure we don't see is that we don't see that judgment comes to Nineveh because they had it coming to them. Judgment comes to Nineveh because God is a just and righteous God, and he will administer justice. And sometimes when we say things like, for whatever man sows, that will he also reap, and leave God out of it, it sounds an awful lot like karma. And we are not teaching and preaching karma. So I want to make sure that that is not a concept that is taught in the Bible. This is, whatever man sows, that will he also reap is true because God is just and right, not because karma exists. So as we frame today's text, I want you to listen for a few things. So I'm going to read through uh, actually chapters 1 through 3, the entire book today. Uh, I want you to be listening for a few things. I want you to listen 
to who takes responsibility for the judgment. I want you to listen for any hope that Nahum gives the Assyrians, and I want you to listen for Nahum's tone. So any, any uh, hope for the Assyrians, who takes responsibility, and Nahum's tone. So that's a, it's a lot to kind of keep track of, but if you want to just pick one, I would encourage you to the who takes responsibility for the judgment. All right, so I'm going to read uh, Nahum 1, 2, and 3. So hopefully you found it in your Bible so far. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated, perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts. Perform your vows. For the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort. Watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel, and the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation, and the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their walk. They make haste to her walls. And the defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are opened and the palace is dissolved. It is decreed, she shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up and her maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves, beating their breasts. 
Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. Take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts and the knees shake. Much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion walked and the lioness and the lion's cub, and no one made them afraid? The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lionesses, filled his caves with prey and his dens with flesh. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. There's a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Noamon that was situated by the river, that had the waters around her whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Labim were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people are in the midst, are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locust. Make yourself many like the swarming locusts. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of the heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts and your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away. And the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has your wickedness, has not your wickedness passed continually? So I'm going to ask you those three questions I ask you to listen for. So who takes responsibility for the judgment of Nineveh? 
the Lord alone, absolutely. It, he doesn't put this on Nahum. It is great to see you, brother. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's good to see the others too, but you've been working like crazy, and it's good to see you this morning. So thank you. Uh, sometimes I have found when there is a difficult job to do, I have had managers in my past that would assign out the job to somebody and then back away and then not want to take responsibility for the job that had to be done. Has anybody ever worked for somebody like that or know somebody like that? God is very, very clear, this is me doing this. Nahum is my mouthpiece, but this is me doing this, right? Okay. So was there any hope for the Assyrians? Did you see a ray of sunshine on a cloudy day? No, you pretty much just heard whirlwinds, right? And like floods and destruction and corpses on corpses. That little section there where it talks about the corpses, there's three different words for dead bodies that are used in the Hebrew. They're trying to describe every perceivable uh, perspective on death is what Nahum throws in. And then Nahum's tone was what? Pretty serious, would you say? Uh, I did something in the teacher notes uh, that I have not done before because I didn't know about it before. But you can find them uh, if you go to OurSundaySchool.com under the Read tab and click on the T. I highlighted all the intensive verbs so that I knew how to read it more properly as, you went, as we went through today. And if you were wondering why I snarled more than normal, uh, that's what that was about. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Now, uh, so let's, let's kind of back up in big picture again. So I've, this has been a blank on your handout every single week. So you should know it at this point. Nahum is what? Structural literary observations. Nahum is what? It's poetry, right? It's absolutely poetry. The whole thing could be described as a war poem. And chapter 3 specifically is, is a, a woe poem. It's the, there's several of these in the Old Testament. These woe, and then the prophet will go into some type of a description that is not positive. And then Nahum chapter 3, the focus continues to be on whose downfall. Nineveh, right? Nineveh or Assyria? Either one. Because Nineveh represented all of Assyria, and the king was actually in Nineveh. All right, repeated words. You, your, yourself. Somebody take a stab at how many times you think this showed up in Nahum 3. 31 is not a bad guess. It's actually higher. 41 times. So if you have a conversation with somebody and the conversation lasts three minutes and they say you or some variant of it 40 plus times, this is getting direct, right? I kind of felt like Nahum 1 and 2 were direct. Nahum 1 is very clear that God is in charge. He is jealous. He is going to make things right. Nahum 2, we begin down this path. And Nahum 3, he just drives this home. It is unbelievable. But almost every single line has a you or a your in it. <clears throat> and then there's the word I. And this is God speaking here. And he says I five different times. So there's no doubt about who's actually speaking these words. This is God's words through Nahum. And then two other things that I want you to pay attention to. Uh, did you hear the locusts come up quite a few times? Yeah, the locusts were mentioned five times here. Uh, and that's just the locust. This, isn't my, this is just the English look. There's actually several more that are in Hebrew. Uh, the Jews so hated locusts that they had ten different Hebrew words for locusts. 
each one would focus on a different component of the locust predatory behavior. Um, but I, I didn't know that until I started looking at these words. And I, I typically, when I go through and look at the words, like, oh, this word's the same as this word, the same as this word. And they just, they weren't the same. And they weren't the same. I thought, how many words do they have for locust? I looked it up. They have 10 words for locust. I don't have 10 words for locust, right? This is a big deal for them. And then there was another one, which is what makes today's lesson rated R, the harlot and the harlotrix, which is a really toned-down, calm way of saying whore, um, which is what the, the Hebrew really is trying to get at. Now, I told you this day is going to be rated R, so I'm not, I'm not joking. It's going to be rated R. But the harlot and the harlotry shows up three different times, uh, just in Nahum chapter 3. So he's very direct. He's taking ownership. He's talking about locusts, uh, this uh, predatory behavior, and the reason for their judgment is this harlotry and harlot. Now, there was another sin that was mentioned in here uh, back in verse 4. So what's another sin that's mentioned in verse 4 of Nahum chapter 3? Sorcery. That's right. Now, if you remember anything from the Old Testament, how does God feel about harlotry and sorcery? Those are not good, right? Like, people's got wiped out for those types of things. And when, when the children of Israel chased after another god, what was the phrase that was sometimes used? They played the, they played the harlot, right? Because God is a jealous God. We saw this very the initial couple of verses in Nahum chapter 1. He desires this relationship. And if you break that relationship, and he, and he pictures this relationship as the husband and a wife, all throughout the Old Testament, and then we see the same analogy in the New Testament. We are, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. There's a husband-wife relationship. We, we don't mess with this because of that. But when you chase after somebody else, then you are being a harlot in a relationship. No, uh, I am not saying that. <laughs> wow, that was really off. Now I have to delete all my text messages because that's a record in there, Sean. Thank you so much. All right, I will tell you, uh, and Darla is not here to hear it, and she's going to be so disappointed that I talked about Jay Vernon uh, today. Those of you that know Jay Vernon McGee. In his introduction to his commentary on Nahum, he said, uh, because the, the tone of the book is so heavy and dark, he said, uh, a lot of people don't like to say it's Nahum, but it's Ho-Hum. That's my grown redneck joke. All right, there we go. Sorry. Okay, so uh, on page 2 of your handout, don't skip past page, actually it's page 10, I think, right? Yeah, page 10. Uh, my Word document, I keep all the teacher notes in one document, I keep all the student notes in one document, so it's uh, continuous that way. All right, I told you last week that we would, uh, last week we kind of, we, we looked at the vermouth and we didn't actually go there, but today we're going to dive in just a little bit, so... Uh, let's look at the Hebrew, some basics of Hebrew verbs. Now, I put this together, if you look at the bottom of that page, from uh, four different sources, HebrewForChristians.com, which is a fantastic uh, introduction into Hebrew. If you have no idea how Hebrew works, that's where I would encourage you to start. Uh, BLB.org, they have some really simple definitions for some of these terms. Strong's Concordance has simple definitions for some of these terms. And then I found a library in Haifa, uh, it's a city in Israel, 
that uh, had some really good structural ways to present some of this information. So those are my four uh, resources that I brought together. Uh, so let's just run down through, and I'll, I'll give you a, a feel for how some of this works. So basics of Hebrew verbs. So Hebrew verb has a person, a number, a gender, a voice, aspect, stem, and a conjugation. And most of these you're familiar with, right? So if you've got a person, so first person is what? I, right? Second person is you. Do you feel like there was a lot of second person today? Yes, a lot of second person. And then third person is... And you have like the definition of... That's awesome, Carrie. That's fantastic. Did you teach this at any point? or You did. Excellent. All right, great. Um, we have a family... Mr. Bandy Sr., I'm looking at you, that is going to be coming back and joining us. They were away in Texas. They went to a foreign country uh, for a year, two years, two years. Yeah, it feels like 30. Uh, and uh, David and Stacy Bandy, and Stacy is an English teacher and will be again, I believe, in Hamilton County School System. And Stacy always sat kind of close to where you're sitting right now. And if I ever had any grammar question at all, I'd just kind of glance up and look, and she'd just jump in and help. So I'm, I'm glad I have a, a helper in the room. That's fantastic. I'm excited. All right, so person. So we, have, we can associate and understand person. This makes really sen uh, good sense to us. Uh, number, so singular or plural, um, probably in good shape in this space. Gender, uh, so we have masculine, feminine, and then common, which is not the same as neuter, but it's pretty close, so we'll leave that alone. Um, and the, the, the genders have to match. Uh, and then you have voice, so active voice, passive voice, uh, and reflexive voice. So active voice is um, pretty straightforward. Uh, passive voice is pretty straightforward. Anybody know what reflective voice is? All right, we'll get to that in a minute then. Uh, and then there's number five called an aspect or a mode. And this is this is the, uh, the, what forced me or what uh, led me to read the text a bit differently. So you've got the kind of action expressed by a verb. So you've got simple action. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the verb to walk. All right. This is simple action. Jim walked. Pretty simple, right? All right. Causal. Jay, I'm going to need your help in just a minute, so if you'll meet me over there. I'm going to show you intensive now. Jim walked quickly. Hear the rushing of the wind? Yes. All right. There we go. The screen, wow, that was awesome. That's cool. And then we have causal, which is something causes the action to, yes, very good. Help me out. So Jay's going to be, no, seriously, like, help me out. Like, there you, there you go. Jim was caused to walk. Yes, thank you. You, you see the difference here? And, and these are just, you, you change the spelling and the pronunciation a little bit, and you, you can communicate in Hebrew whether it was simple, whether it was intensive, or whether it was causal. So there's a lot going on with this. And you might be thinking, well, that's, that's a lot with verbs. Okay, well, we can communicate a lot with our tone, and Hebrew would do with letters what we do with our tone. So... Like, we can relate to this. And then you come to stems. All right, so you guys are familiar with root words. You have root words, and then you can build on to them, or you can change the endings of them. So every Hebrew verb has a root, but it also has stems that you can add on. 
and the different stems are what you are seeing in your handout in pages 11 through 13 after the definition of a, or actually before the definition of a word. So let's, I'll give you an example of one. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 3 on page 11, horsemen charge. You see the, uh, I don't know how to say the word, hiphil. Of cla- we'll go to the one that I know how. The, the, the road directly above horsemen charge on verse 3 on page 11 is of clattering. See the word uh, pael? It's in bold. So come over here to your stems and look at pael. Pael is the third one down on the stems. It's intensive, strong action in the active voice. You see where we're going? So this is not just, yeah, the horseman clattered, or the of clattering uh, chariots. No, this is intensive, really a lot of noise. This is happening. This is, this is significant. So what I have done in my teacher notes and in your student handouts is every time there is an intensive verb, I have bolded that. So you can see where the, the intensity kind of comes from. Now, sometimes you can communicate uh, intensive verbs just by the words that you use to translate. So you just pick stronger words. That's one way you can do it. Or you can pick an easier word and say it in a certain way in English. It, you kind of get the same uh, response. But we'll just run down through the stems real quick. So uh, call is uh, simple action, active voice. About 70% of the verbs in the Hebrew Bible are call. So the vast majority of them are just simple, active. It's just straightforward, nothing really special. Then uh, nifal, so you got simple passive voice. Uh, Payel, this is intensive. Pu'al, uh, intensive passive. And then uh, three more that I still struggle to pronounce properly. So you also see the, uh, the hit payel, I think is the last one there, is the reflective voice. It's a performed on the self. So the idea is that uh, when Jay was pushing me, that was causal. But if, I don't know how I would cause myself to walk faster, but if I was causing the action itself, that would be the, uh, the reflective voice. Now, you with me so far? So here's where it gets complicated. <laughs> Some of you are like, wait, what? <laughs> yes, this is where it's going to get complicated. All right, you might want to like, buckle in. So the conjugation. So each one of the stems, the three, the six, the seven, I'm not even going to get into the parentheses today. The parentheses are just variants of each one that are extraordinarily complex, and I I do not understand that yet. But each one of those stems can be conjugated in eight different ways. This is why Hebrew is hard. (laughs) And Hebrew is a very, very... uh, Run, yes, that's good. Cause myself to run, to walk faster is to run. Yes, thanks, Chris. Uh, Hebrew is a very verb-intensive language. Uh, If you go through and count all the... I've not done this. I read about somebody who did this. If you go through and count all the verbs in the Old Testament, on average, each verse is going to have about three verbs in it. So there's a lot of verbs in Hebrew. So understanding some basics of Hebrew verbs is going to be really, really important. And you guys remember some of these from the Greek... I'm sure that you have memorized the basics of Greek verbs, right? You went home and all committed that to memory. Right, Tim? Absolutely, great. All right, so perfect is simple, completed action. Imperfect is incomplete or progressive. Uh, you have cohortive, imperative, and justive. First, second, and third person commands. 
uh, infinitive constructs, infinitive absolutes, and then participles. So lots of things that we understand and relate to uh, as we go through the text. All right. So I give you pieces of paper every once in a while that I strongly recommend that you stick in your Bible. This is one of those pieces of paper. Like when you are studying, this is a very helpful piece of paper. It is not, uh, it is not infallible. It is certainly not overly complex uh, relative to the complexity of the actual topic, but it will be able to help you along and think about certain different things. Because one of the things that I've found is that sometimes English translators translate things very flat. It loses a lot of the complexity in the original language. And the more you're familiar, you don't have to know it, but the more you're familiar with the original language, the more complexity in the conversation actually occurs. Just think about the last time you watched something occur and then tried to tell somebody about it. Your words didn't do full, complete justice to the situation because there was setting, there was tone, there was perspective, there was inflection, there was all that, and that's very hard to describe. But the Hebrew actually is complex enough to give us a vast majority of that. So, you ready? Let's go to page 11. Here we go. Now, we're going to go until we stop, and then we'll go next week. All right? So, I'm in no rush to get through all four of these pages at all. So, breathe for me, Zeke. All right? Good deal. Here we go. What do the words mean? Whoa. This is a get-your-attention type word. This is the, uh, I would say the New Testament equivalent, the Greek equivalent would be behold. Right? Woe to the bloody or the bloodthirsty city. It is all full of lies, of, of this lying and robbery. Its victim, its prey, never departs. This is the hephil. So this is its caused action with an active voice, so it never departs, it never ceases. The noise or this, this fame or this proclamation of a whip. You ever hear a whip? You've seen Indiana Jones, right? It's a whip, right? The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling. The Hebrews, I can't pronounce it, I've tried and tried and tried, but the Hebrew word for noise, sound, if you say it a certain way, sounds like a whip cracking. He is writing and sounding like the thing that he is writing about. It is really impressive. And the noise of rattling or confusion or rushing or shaking wheels of galloping horses. The, the word galloping is an interesting word. It, it literally means to pause. You know why it means to pause? Is galloping a constant sound? No, it's irregular, right? There's pauses in the middle of it. So this is the of, of galloping horses of clattering. This is the intensive, uh, dan leaping, skipping chariots. They are moving and rushing through. Horsemen charge with bright. This is a flame or glittering sword. Why, why, would, a, why would a sword glitter? I've got it out, right? And I am, I am turning it as we charge. And if you want to scare somebody, you have thousands of men in chariots with glittering swords attacking a city. It looks like lightning is coming. Okay. You've got my attention, right? All the commentators that I read talked about how, um, how battle has two basic components. One is the, the intimidation component before the actual battle occurs, and then there's the actual battle. 
right? And you want to be as intimidating as possible, so you have to do as little battle as possible. Does this make sense? If, if you do no intimidation, you have to do a lot of battle. That's not the, the, the equation you want to have here. So horsemen charge with bright glittering swords and glittering. This is a, uh, it's a different word, actually. This is a, a lightning or a torch uh, and glittering spears or javelins. So they've got swords, they've got spears, they're ready to go. There is a multitude or an abundance. There is plenty of slain. And these are, uh, these are wounded people. A great number of bodies. This is car- carcasses and corpses. Countless. This is, the, the word means it has no border. It has no brim. It has no edge. Countless corpses is a different word for corpses. They stumble. They are, they are decayed. They are feeble. They are ruined over the corpses. So it's not just they're tripping over them. It's they're actually injuring themselves going over the... There are so many. Have you ever tried to walk through something that was so difficult to walk through you almost fell down? They're falling down because of the number of bodies. This is horrible, horrible language here. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot. All right, let's talk about these words for a second. The multitude of whoredoms of the seductive or of these beautiful, well-favored, uh, pleasant. This is the word here. This is the word for seductive. In your English translation, may have a softer word than seductive. But it basically means very pleasant. You're like, wait, harlots can be pleasant? Yes, this is how they make money. Right? It's pretty basic, okay? Uh, of this harlot, someone who uh, plays the harlot. Uh, uh, the mistress, this is a different word, of sorceries or witchcraft, who sells nations through her harlotries. She sells nations. How would you be able to sell a nation? If you want to sell something, what do you have to have first? The thing, right? Yeah. So she has whored herself out to go and align and to capture and then sells them out at their expense. Does this make sense? All right. and families through her sorceries. So this is not just about nations. This is about families. We are, we are breaking down the basics of the family. So verse 5, God comes out and he's really clear. I am against you. The Lord, the, the Jehovah of hosts, of all the companies, of all the soldiers, which is actually an insult. When you say Lord of hosts to another army... You are saying that army does not control the, or that king does not control the soldiers. My king controls the soldiers. And he does. Absolutely does. And then he says, I will lift the, uh, the payel. This is very intensive. I will lift your skirts over your face. All right. And some of you might be thinking, well, she's a harlot. So is that going to bother her? All right. So this is how harlots were exposed in this day and age. People did not walk around naked in this day and age. Even that, even it, as the, the debauchery, the awful, the evil wickedness of Nineveh, they did not walk around naked then. They would take the harlot to a public place and they would lift the harlot's skirt over the harlot's head and expose all that the harlot has to show everyone this one is a harlot. And even for the harlot, that was embarrassing. 
See, the Ninevites didn't imagine a world where nakedness would be shown and celebrated. Right. Even for the harlot, that was considered embarrassment. Now, let's keep going. I will show or to present or provide the nations, all the Gentiles, all the nations, the same word used back in verse 4, your nakedness. The word there is not nakedness. The word there is translated nakedness because if the translators put what the word actually was, they'd have to put a, probably an X rating on your Bible. It is a part of the female body is what this word is talking about. I will show all the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame, your reproach, your dishonor. I will cast or to hurl abominable filth. And I just knew when I studied this phrase it was going to mean like dung or something really nasty. It literally just means abominable filth. Like I was, I was kind of disappointed there wasn't something more than just abominable filth here, but there's nothing there. It's just... It's just so you... Which which lends itself toward you can put whatever you want to in that abominable filth blank, right? I mean, this is the preacher that when he does the altar call doesn't get real specific with the sin, just leaves it very generic so that, oh, I think he's talking about me. No, that's the Holy Spirit. But yes, the Holy Spirit's using that generic to, uh, to drill down here. So I will make you vile, again, this uh, pael, this very intensive action, and make you a spectacle, a gazing stock. So, skirt up over the head, nakedness displayed, everybody is looking. And it shall come to pass that all who look, or all who view, or all who observe you will flee. Now, what does a harlot have to have? A harlot has to have customers, or the harlot is not going to stay in business. So the harlot's been exposed, and all the customers are fleeing. This is bad. They will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Pual, this is the destroyed. They are dead. They are completely laid waste. Who will bemoan or be moved or reach out for her? Where shall I seek or beg or inquire for comforters for you? I'm going to expose your nakedness You'll be fully on display for all the world to see, and no one will mourn for you. That's pretty serious words, and we'll stop there. All right, where did I stop? On your handout, I want you to look where I stopped. After verse 7, right? Do you see the break between verse 7 and verse 8? That's a poetic break. So I pushed through to kind of get to the end of that. So there's a stanza, a stanza, and then we took a break. So in between the break, we're going to have a week. We're going to come back next week, do another couple of stanzas, and then we'll be done with Nahum. Now, um, if you have questions about this kind of stuff, I would encourage you to reach out. Uh, I'd love to discuss any of this with you. But, um, but there's a lot going on here. One of the, things that, one of the reasons that I do this type of teaching is for us to get an appreciation for the complexity of the Hebrew language. It is not a flat, dull, everything is nice and simple. It is very complex. There's a lot going on. And if God chose to use that kind of a language, I want to get as much out of it as I possibly can because it's in there. 
So if it's in there, let's get it out. All right, so on your tables is a weekly update. So if you've got that weekly update, it's the page with the blue bar at the top. Uh, make sure your names are at the bottom. Uh, share any prayer requests. And then after you have prayed at the table, uh, you are dismissed. And I'll see you back next week. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.